Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Insane in the membrane. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favourite podcast, Insane in the Membrane, with your old pal Wilson. And this week, I'm joined by the mighty Paul Foot. Hello. Uh, hello, Rich. Nice to be on the. It's nice, nice to have you. I apologise for mucking you around. My brain—it's like a boiled radish. My brain. It was like a nightmare. Oh, was like, I thought it was supposed to be three o'clock, and then it was five o'clock, and I felt like. I was living in. It was like living in a, in a like like I was living in some sort of film, but not in a good way. Just in a really, really disturbing kind of, um, you know, what time's the starting kind of way. And it's just one of those things. It just it never. It's like we get to five and then it's like oh no, it's seven. Oh yeah, but no, no, it's nine. And it just it's never like, comes. It's like the film Sliding Doors, except <laughs> it making no difference one way or the other. <laughs> it doesn't really affect anything. So it's a bit like that. You could have gone either way and it would have led you to this point. And that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> oh, dear me. Can you hear me all right, Paul? Oh, I can hear you very well. I just won't say anything because I just, I just, I just zoned out a bit there. Your voice voice was so. I can hear you, but your voice was so relaxing. I started to, I started to uh, just completely go into a soporific state. It was sort of, sort of hypnotic trance. You know, it's now become a sleep story. You're going to be asleep by the end of this, and uh, you're feeling, you're feeling sleepy, drowsy. Your eyes are slowly closing. I, <laughs> do you know what, Paul? I'm actually, and have been for many years, a connoisseur. I've uh, oh. been on your mailing list for a long time. Oh, that's good. Yes, I'm glad just because people who are listening don't know, I have my own society, the Guild of Paul Foot Connoisseurs. And it's just a good society. Yes. It's very nice. It's very Lots good. Lots of nice people there, like you. And they're all people <laughs> who like my comedy. But I always say they're connoisseurs, not fans, because they're like, they're not fans. They don't like standing around like, with a notebook asking me to sign something. They just like the comedy. Yeah, we actually yeah we appreciate good comedy, which yours is. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, yeah, so you, you don't have to deal with corner, yeah. would you, Rich, with a with a piece of paper trying to get me to sign something? You wouldn't bother. <laughs> maybe i don't know paul i don't know where you live maybe if i found out where you lived maybe that would change it maybe this is what this is all about this is a cunning plan oh. just to find out where you live so i can get you to sign my book you might be able to find out where i live from this this image because you're in my private boudoir really because normally i do my podcasts from another room in the house but today because my boiler's broken I'm doing it in the kitchen, which is the only warm place. And it's got all my oh, mate. all my things up, my little things that I've just various things over the years I've stuck up, little memories of little things everywhere. <laughs> just to just to just to keep you happy, just little things on the fridge. Yes. Oh, there's an inv- invitation to a, a wedding. Oh, yeah. Do you know? I hadn't seen that for ages. That was an invitation to a, a, a wedding anniversary party. But on the day of the wedding anniversary party, I couldn't find any of the details. Or, like, where is it? And I knew they'd sent something to me in the post. Well, there it is. It's been put there on the, on the fridge. So I often put things on the fridge and forget about them. And then I, oh, yes, I'll put that on the fridge, I think. Very important invitation to a special show business party. 
and I forget about it. <laughs> but I do that. I I looked I looked in my diary yesterday to see what was happening today, and I just felt I was so ahead of the game. And all it was that I got the numbers jumbled up, and just and well, it all just it, fell it apart. Was it cause it, did it say fifteen hundred, and you can think of that as five? It said fifteen hundred, and I think somewhere along the line, in my head, I went, "Oh yeah, so we'll be done four thirty. Then Paul and I will chat five. So I'll be, and then so five was in my head. Yes, well, uh, I think it's understandable. It's an easy mistake to make, and it, <laughs> uh, obviously, if I wanted to be very judgmental then I could say it was highly unprofessional and you should always check <laughs> and double check these things. And I could say it's about time you got used to the 24-hour clock. It's not complicated. Check and double check. <laughs> Is it in the 24-hour clock or does it say AM or PM? It's not difficult. <laughs> well, that's what I would say if I was... Um, uh, I could work as a, a check-in for Ryanair or something because I could do that. <laughs> and then I could say, you're two hours too late. It's all on the terms and conditions. It's not my problem. <laughs> and then they could say, yeah, but we're going to have to stay in a hotel now. We won't get, the holiday's ruined. i say, it's not my problem. <laughs> terms and conditions. <laughs> you say, yeah, terms and conditions, that's it. Gets you out of everything. Uh, have you ever had a job like that? Have you ever worked anywhere, Paul? Because I don't imagine where you would work. I've only ever known you as Paul Foot comedian. Well, I've only known myself as that. I have barely ever worked. Yeah. I once, uh, I've never done any job in customer services. What I mean is most people have done a job in a shop or they've done a job being a waiter or something. I've never done anything like that. I've only had, well... There was like a like a sort of work experience thing when I was eighteen. I don't think you could even count that as a job. So right. was Where was this? Place. That was Where? in that was in Madrid after I left school, and it was reinsuring light aircraft and putting okay. it. it was like I had to enter all this data into the computer about how much the aircraft were worth and what the how much the people were being insured for in the event of death or serious injury. It was quite sort of. Boring, really, but because it was in Spanish, and my Spanish <laughs> wasn't that brilliant, it made it kind of quite interesting. It was quite challenging. <laughs> but I did that, and then I did one thing, which was like some weird things, like a work experience thing for two days, and it was in like in the city of London, and I mostly just kind of photocopied stuff. I had to yeah, wear right. a suit, and that was just for two days. And then I did get a job. Uh, because I obviously wanted to be a comedian and I needed some money when I started. So I applied for various jobs. And then one of the... I only really went to two or three interviews, but one of the first ones I went to was with this recruitment agency. And uh, they actually didn't want to employ me. They wanted to place me. Right. I went there and uh, it was very boring. It was an administration role. And then I remember talking to... Julian, who was interviewing me, has since become a very good friend. Mm. And I said, oh, I'm very interested in administration. Administration is what I (laughs) I love admin. I'm really interested in it. I could see his eyes glazing over as I made up all this rubbish. And then I said, look, actually, I'm not really interested in this job at all, but I want to be a stand-up comedian and I need some money in the meantime. And his eyes lit up, A, because I was telling the truth, which is always more interesting to hear from someone, and B, because that's the sort of man he was, he sort of like loved the idea of it. And then he he then said, well, there could be a better job for me in the other opportunities that he sort of advised me about. But after about three months, he rang me and said, have you got a job? And I said, no. And he said, we'll have to employ you then. And then, so I went to work there, and I was there for, I did nine to five, five days a week, for three full months. Oh, but wow. I had, enough, I had enough of nine to five, five days a week. So then I went to flexi hours after three months. <laughs> and I stayed in the job for 18 months. One time he said to me, is it a good job you work here, Paul? Because you're completely unemployable. Because <laughs> I didn't like being given orders. I like to do my own thing. Yes. And I just got to go in and work out what I was going to do. 
Right. But I actually did invent some computer systems for the for the company that I think are still there now. Like some of the things I set up still really uh, the sort of uh, the, the foundations of it, and I also just made up other things. Like sometimes I was just I'm going to buy a cake, so everyone can have cake, and and that yeah. Would be my, I just oh, just go and buy a cake, you know. <laughs> I used to think this is good. It would take me like an hour to go out, get the cake, and come back. And I think I just earned so much money, you know, for because in those days one would think about the amount of hours, and you think, oh, right, I've got yeah. that much money, you know, whatever it was, ten pounds, whatever it was at the time, or oh, half. I can't remember what it was, fifteen pounds. I can't remember. But anyway, you'd think, oh, and sometimes doing a job. Well, that's the only job I did, but you sort of think, oh, it took 20 minutes to make that phone call. I've just earned £4.50. That's £4.50, right, I've right, got. Yeah. That's not what would get you through the day, really. And in the end, I did some drilling, which I was not in any way uh, <laughs> equipped for, and I made a, I drilled a hole through the door and like, broke the door slightly. So then I uh, said, I was about to, um, I was kind of about to turn professional as a comedian anyway mm. uh, so I said oh, I, I won't charge for my time today and I, uh, <laughs> in fact we still argue about it whenever we meet up for meals a couple of times a year and have a nice meal together he maintains that I was sacked but I maintain right. I was I resigned we're not quite clear on it the yeah. one thing we are clear on is that I left under difficult circumstances <laughs> So that was the only job I ever did. Oh my god! I like. Do you know, speaking of cake, I still, I still, and it was only last week I was talking to my wife and we got cake, and I, I told her about your bit where yes. you see when someone makes a cake and gives you a bit, see how long it takes. You see how long you can go without saying the word moist. Well, not long. That's not the long. Is a comedy. Yeah, yeah that is a comedy. It's interesting, isn't it, when one looks back on one's career? Not that I've finished. No. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I, I have in the sense that I've got to this point, so everything is before. That's yes. the only way it can work. <laughs> you can't time travel. But when you look back, you sort of think certain things just captured the imagination. That cake thing was one of the things. And, yeah. um, and, and uh, you know, sometimes... Particularly in Australia, I don't get it so much in the UK. But in Australia, people come up and say, oh, you didn't do your cake thing tonight. And they, <laughs> they really, I mean, they loved it in Britain, the cake thing. Yes. But they really, really went for it in Australia. And then really? the child thing was a big thing over here and in Australia as well, both really. Yeah. So you were saying before that you, you, had, a, you had an issue with people telling you what to do. Like giving you, you've like so. Has that always been an issue with you when you were growing up? Um, I think I always had a rebellious streak in me. There was something about uh, being told what to do by the, by the teachers, which I didn't mind being told what to do if it was a sensible thing to do. Mm. But sometimes I just sort of thought, well, what they're telling me to do is not sensible. It's not the best way of doing it. You know, there's a better way of learning this or. And I and I sort of in a way I, so then I would find it difficult to just yeah. follow the instructions. So I was never, I wasn't. Um, I was only subtly rebellious at school. I never went to detention. I was never in trouble. Nothing like that. No. But then I was never made a prefect or anything like that because I was considered too sort of too kind of wild, too kind of unpredictable to yeah. be made a prefect. Not conformative enough not uh, uh you know um you know uh, conventional enough to be a prefect but this is what i like about you is the fact that you are unconventional but what i really like about that is that it's not you don't go out of your way to be that it's like some people i know some people that would love to see themselves as eccentric and weird and wonderful and and but you are you are you and I love well, that. Say, yeah. I mean, they say, don't they, that if you try to be eccentric, you're not being eccentric. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same as you, you can't try to be original. You either are original or yeah. you're not. That's a, great, just... that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was worried about that. I speak. I think about that the other week. I, I was just looking at. I hate watching myself, and now we have to put out clips of our stuff for social media. I I struggle with watching myself to be able to do that. And I was thinking about oh, no, this this is all bollocks. This is unoriginal. It's exactly what I said. And then you kind of just got to just keep working at it, haven't you? And and give your clips to someone else to to sort out if you can't do it yourself. <laughs> yes. But I suppose if you don't like what you see when you see yourself, that's because you have a certain picture of how you are. Yeah. And a certain attachment to a certain rich, a certain rich Wilson. Yeah, I think so. I don't realise how blokey I come across. I was watching something and and I would just because loads of people say it all the time, go, oh, you're just a lovable geezer. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not really like that. And then I see myself and I hear myself like, well, I am that. So what what am I hearing in my head? Because I'm hardly walking around like I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know what I think. I don't know what my brain thinks I am. Yes. The Duchess of Palmer. <laughs> That's what I was thinking you don't sound like. That's, That's maybe what, what my, like. That's what my brain thinks I am. I think that's what it is. I, I walk around like I'm Quentin Crisp, but in the body of Ray Winston. Well, of course, this is um, this of course happens to people as they get older, doesn't it? Because obviously, as you get older, you sort of still feel the same. You're still in the same body, looking out the same eyes. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people don't like the aging because it's sort of. Uh, because it's suddenly a very physical mm. manifestation of the fact they are actually getting older and the fact that 22-year-olds aren't interested anymore. You know, and you sort of think, <laughs> oh, why aren't they? Because you feel like the same inside. And then yeah. you get home and think, oh, that's why. Because I look really old. <laughs> you shouldn't be talking to 22-year-olds. Look at the state of your... Oh, God. Uh, I, although there are some people that I know and I've had to speak to and say, listen, come on, you you shouldn't be talking. You shouldn't be worrying about 22-year-olds now. Come on, come away. <laughs> come on, come over here with the grown-ups now. <laughs> what, you mean friends of yours? Friends of mine, yes, that still, you know, they still see themselves as these these, these little these gadabouts. They see see themselves as these... You know, these they're still like you know these hip boys about town. You're like you're 53. You really shouldn't put some socks on. Come on, come away. Yes, I mean I talk to people of all sorts of different ages because of my job. I suppose so I meet audiences. So uh, you know, one meets people of ages. But yes, the days when one imagines that a 22 year old is in some way interested are in the past. Are you are you still taking pictures of people's haircuts? That was I remember when I first met you, and I had I had like more of a, an oasis kind of mod haircut, and you took a picture of that. Oh, I can't remember. That was a little phase I went through taking yeah. people's haircuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was nice. I I enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. Um, where did you grow up, Paul? Oh. I, I, I'm not, I can't quite place you. Where are you from? I grew up in Buckinghamshire. Yeah. Um, which is where I still live around here. So, um, uh, near High Wycombe, that sort of area. Oh, I know, yeah. Not, not in High Wycombe itself, which is not the most exciting place, but near in that area. So, yeah. uh, I've always lived around here. I like it because... A lot of people, obviously, comedians know, because comedians go all over the country. But a lot of people don't know about it. They say, oh, is that Berkshire? Oh, is that Hertfordshire? <laughs> they don't even know where Buckinghamshire is. And then you see it's between London and Oxford, about halfway between. They That's still right. don't know. When you explain <laughs> about the Tube and Zone 9, they just literally have no idea what you mean by Zone 9. Yeah, Zone 9. Because <laughs> yeah, we only know as much as, as far as 6. That's as far as we go. But zone nine, yeah. I mean, that's a that's, it could be out of space. It's quite fun sometimes seeing, you know, occasionally if it's a Friday or Saturday night and I'm on the last train home and someone has maybe had a few wines at some office function and they've fallen asleep on the train and they get to Amersham and yeah. then they say, oh, I've overslept sort of thing. And they say, oh, when's the night bus? 
And you say, well, there isn't a night bus. Well, when's the, next, when's the next tube back into London? Well, in about three weeks, you know. When we, <laughs> there isn't one. This is it now. <laughs> this is, that, is it, you're in Amsterdam. <laughs> it's like when I used to live in South End, and the end of the line was Shoebrinness, and uh, the, the cab drivers, drivers down in Shoebrinness used to be millionaires of all the people that would fall asleep on the train and then have to get a cab back. Absolute fortunes they made. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I know, living, yeah, when you, oh, man, it's always nice to live at the end of the line, especially yeah, if you, if you like, like a few wines. Yeah, so I live at the end of the line, or not actually at the I have then have to drive six miles beyond the end of the line. Right, right. There's no wines for me. <laughs> and did you, because like I just said, you've, you, to me, you've never tried to be anything other than yourself whereas when I was growing up I I kind of trusted the adults I was like oh well the adults know best it's only now I'm, I'm an adult myself I'm like no they had no idea what they were doing I wish I'd have said something and like you just said like you know you just knew that grown-ups would ask you to do things and there was a better way of doing them you had the wherewithal to question it you know not in a you weren't being a difficult person you were just like no it doesn't seem right has that always been an issue for you? Just because you've always been yourself, especially growing up in a place like High Wycombe, were there issues growing up? Well, I don't. I mean, I sort of. I don't have much of a relationship with the past. I remember it much, no. really. I remember school being. I I remember it being difficult because I was bullied. Mm. And all these things at the time, you know, when you're looking back on it, it all seems... Like, I remember there was one particular person who used to bully me at school. And then... And it was terrible, really. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if one went through puberty, like, a year later than the other boys, this was some nightmare. Mm, I mean, yeah. who cares, you know, in the scheme of life? What is it? Why is it so important? But at the time, this was terrible, you know. Yes. Like a nightmare. And I remember all of this bullying and stuff. And then I remember that when I was at university, so we were all about 19, and he wasn't at the same university, but I think he must have come to visit someone who was there. And so, and I was all scared. Oh, my God, it's, it's him who oh, was no. bullying me. Uh, but then he was 19 or 20 years old by then, and he was just perfectly pleasant and nice and just grown up and nice to see you. And you sort of think, oh, that was... Well, it was, you know, that was just not, you know, on the one hand, it was sort of like it wasn't really real, but it was real, but it was yeah. like, that wasn't him. It was just how he was as he was growing up. He felt the need to sort of bully. But on the other hand, I thought, that's like four years of my life you made misery. Yeah. So there was a slight yeah. resentment at the time. Yeah, well, that, but that's it. I mean, I saw I a couple of years ago, I saw one of the, the the guys who used to bully me from where I grew up in the town. He never he didn't go to my school, but when we used to hang around in this park, it used. I remember seeing him turn up, and I would just be filled with dread, and he'd do all sorts of horrible things to me. And then I saw him putting petrol in his car a couple of years ago, and bearing in mind that was like thirty odd years ago, and I felt the fear and then I was like I'm gonna go and, I'm gonna go and say something to him and I'm like he won't know who you are and it it was a really weird moment that it was you know he probably would be fine and he would have he wouldn't even remember and it it's strange isn't it well, how you, those... never, you never did it you never went to him and no I never him. went I should have I, should I have done I don't know well it wouldn't have achieved anything would it it would have just been odd and I think also then when I went to university uh, to my shame, I think I was a group of people who was not very nice to some other people. Yeah. Not bullying like at school, but uh, not physical bullying or anything. No. But I think because I met some other people at university, and I think they'd all been bullied, we were all the ones who never really went to the parties when mm. we were in school, and we were not very cool, and we were bullied and all that stuff. And so then we discovered, okay, we're adults now, we're at university, and we all kind of... So a group of us all got together as friends, and we were, I think, so relieved and excited that we were 
we'd found friends. We had yeah. people who, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and then, but then I think then there were some people who weren't in our little group. Um, and we were only 18 years old or 19 at the time. But there were people who were not in our group. And then we were a bit nasty to them, a bit like, you're not in our group. Not very welcoming, not very friendly. Yeah. Because we were so desperate to be, yeah, we're in this group. But we weren't secure. We weren't secure in that. It was the first time that we'd been in a group. So we yeah. weren't secure enough to just be, well, because I didn't want to be nice to the people who were not as cool as us, in inverted commas, in case that meant that the other people would say, well, you're not in our group anymore, and then I wouldn't be in any group. And we all probably felt the same, so we were all insecure. Yeah. And it meant we were um, not very nice to other people. I mean, obviously, we grew out of that. But uh, it is an example, isn't it, of how people get bullied and then maybe themselves are yeah. not very nice to others. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, especially, I've said this on here before, the school that I went to, it was an all-boys school, so it just went down the line, like somebody was getting bullied, so they bullied you, you'd bully somebody else. Everybody was bullying somebody to 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 make you feel better because you were getting picked on. It was it's horrible. Well, mine, mine was the same, all-boys school, very similar sort yeah. of thing. You know? and, so, it, uh, oh, God. And if you, like you talk about puberty... Now, when you look back, and and having spoken, having my lads that have grown up and gone through it, and having spoken to other young people, it's very different now. Whereas it was so toxic when we were when I was a kid, there was no, there wasn't any understanding. It was kind of yeah, again, you were just bullying each other, like because somebody hadn't quite got to where you are puberty wise, so they were still when well, it was no hairs or they hadn't quite grown or whatever was going on or you know questioning people's sexuality it's awful oh, yes. it was awful yes sexuality i mean uh there were 1100 boys in school and none, none of them was none of them was even concealed gay let alone openly gay right it was very just that's not what you do yeah yeah but yeah things, things changed things changed quite quickly i think after i left I think a new headmaster came in who was much less patrician and and uh, I think just the zeitgeist changed. Yes. I mean, that was 1992 when I left school and just things changed in the 90s and uh, it was just like much less of a big issue. I think that's it, yeah. It was, it was a big issue when I was a kid. I left school in 88 and so, you know, the 80s, I, I started secondary school in 81 and so it was, it was, it was, if you, if you showed any signs that you were anything other than heterosexual, you would just get, you would just, your life would be awful. It was, it was, and I remember, I remember there was these lads were doing this thing. They were giving each other love bites and I made some comment going, I mean, I can't exactly remember what I said, but I know it wasn't very nice. And then they kind of rallied, they sort of turned on me and were like, oh, we'll see you after school. And I'm like, well, yeah, well, you can't do anything. You're kissing each other. And I think about that all the time. And I think about how horrible it was that I well, said I, those well, things. Well, that you said those things. Yeah. That it, that I, for some reason, because I, I don't even know why I thought it was an issue. Because I don't have an issue with it. I, I, I just just haven't. And my mum and dad were very uh, progressive when I was growing up. So I was surrounded by all manner of diversity. And so to be in that environment and for me to be taking the piss out of two lads for giving each other love bites, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I was trying to impress my friends or hiding something myself. I don't really know. But I know it was horrible, and I know it made me feel it's made me feel shit ever since. Well, they do say, or you know that. Um, well, I don't know whether they say, but I say it anyway. In fact, I did a piece of comedy about it a few years ago. Mm. Like no one, the nastiest people in the world, no one could be crueler and nastier than children in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. They can be so horrible <laughs> to each other. I think that's it, and it's only. I think. Yeah, and I think 
I do remember at the time, because I remember one of the lads, we ended up in a back and forth, and then him and his friends said they were going to meet me after school, and I sort of went, I went a different way, and then I was walking up the road another night with my friends, and he was on his own, and I went over to him, and I was like, all right then, come on then, you want to meet me? Being all big, because my friends were there, and I remember him, so he goes, he goes, no, I don't want to. And then I was, and I, and I was in my, I'm like, I don't want to either. But because of all the other lads, we were kind of getting pushed into this thing. And I, and I've seen, I've spoken to him since. Well, I, I've met him. So just, I'm still friends with other people that we know. And we've both said, you know, we just didn't, we were pushed into a thing we didn't want to be in because of the environment. But at that moment when we were face to face and he said, and he, and he had the, the, the guts to say, I don't want to. And I and I was like, yeah, I don't want to either. And I think that was the turning point. That was the time I was like, yeah, I don't want to be any of this. I don't want to be this fighting laddie sort of thing. It was a real moment in 1988, that was. Yeah. But it still bothered me. I don't know. It's just because I'm not, like I say, I've, I've, had, I've since had, um, you know, uh, experiences with with men and you know it's so i don't know what my issue was <laughs> well i think the issue was the same with me when i was at university i mean school i mean uh that there's a lot of baggage or certainly it was then about being gay you know mm-hmm. it's considered it was just considered just a out and out bad thing you know just yeah i mean when I think back on it, I think there were 1,100 boys and they never once taught us anything about sexuality or anything. No. Well, I suppose the reason would have been that the headmaster and the teachers and the general zeitgeist was that that wasn't... It was just considered a kind of a problem, something you have to deal with, maybe. Yeah, it wasn't considered that would be just something completely normal. No one once said to me, do you know, if you're gay, that's completely normal, who cares? Or even if you're just bisexual or you feel that you want to, exp- you know, who cares? Yeah. Like, so now, it's, you know, when I speak to, um, you know, young people and students and things, I think it's just a totally different world in which um, it's not even an issue. The idea of having to, come out to something is just irrelevant yes everyone not everyone but a lot of people the default position is is to see themselves as bisexual and just whatever you know no one cares it's not a thing yeah the idea to sit down and say to people i am gay or i am bisexual implies there's something bad about it doesn't it yes it's like an extra thing that yeah that you've had to yeah, that you have to warn people of or explain to people of. And now, you know, I'm glad it is where it is because obviously it's so obvious, you know, it doesn't, your sexuality affects nothing. It doesn't affect anything, you know. And I think, um, you know, and, and things have moved on so much. I mean, religion plays a role. And, yeah. And just when I was at university, I had what we would now call mental health problems. I had depression and the things I was dealing with. Nowadays, people would say, well, you know, that's okay and you need some help and some people to counsel you and work out what it is. Whereas in those days, it was very much, well, you know, uh, um, you know, you've got to sort yourself out or you'll be expelled from the university. Oh, wow. And I even went to see, um, I went to see, a, like there was a, not a vicar, but um, I can't remember the, the name, like a chaplain of the yeah. This college, there was a chaplain, and uh, he said, and I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm gay. I'm dealing with that." And I said, "I'm depressed about various things," and he said, "I remember this." He said, "Well, you know, I've encountered people before. There was someone else who had all these issues. He was gay, and he had depression and stuff, and you know, and he did kind of kill himself. So oh that's sort of understandable that." It was very much implied that perhaps the best thing would be... It wasn't quite like that, but it was kind of implied that yeah. if I were to commit suicide, that would be 
quite understandable. They would have understood. Oh my word! And that was, but that's religion, isn't it? Yeah, that was the way he saw it as basically being a sin, and in he saw my sexuality as irreconcilable with um, with what he would have considered to be um, proper moral living. Yeah. And all it is is, and as we've already said, your sexuality is irrelevant. It makes no difference to anyone or anything. Yet you, because of the environment we were growing up in, which, like as you said, thankfully seems to have changed vastly. It's a, it's the, you're, you're, the fact that you really shouldn't have had to deal with anything. There wasn't anything to deal with you. No, but a lot of this, I think. Because it all comes... To, of course, you say it's not an issue, it's not a problem. But it is a problem, though, mm. if you believe that it's a sin and if you believe that committing a sin is a very serious business. You know, yeah. If you believe all that, I, I maintain that... Um, my, my, my theory is that so much of Western... Um, uh, uh, morality, particularly about sexuality and things, it all comes from St. Paul. Not really from Jesus. Right. Jesus never said anything about being gay or anything. I think he just said, love everyone, love everyone, so yeah. your neighbour and all this stuff. But it was St. Paul who wrote all those letters uh, to, you know, the Corinthians and all, whoever these letters were for. And a lot of I think he's sort of very under undernoted as a massive part of of Western morality. Oh, All really? Letters, stuff he says about sexuality, about women, and all these things. So it's very patriarchal. Ah. It's very, you know, very, um, you know uh, it's very patrician. Yeah. So. Uh, Baptist, it all comes from St. Paul, all these things. Ah, I had no idea, because I haven't really studied it, to be honest, because it's never really, I just, all I ever see is religion causes more problems than it, than it, than it, you know, than it cures, and I've never really, so I just see it as that, so I've never really studied it, so I didn't know that. I just assumed. Yeah, well, I might be wrong, and there might be people <laughs> who are theologists who say, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that, and so on. I always think so much of that comes from those letters. Yeah. All that stuff about sexuality, a lot of that sexuality stuff comes from those letters. But the irony is that probably if that's the case in those letters that St Paul had written, he was probably hiding so many things himself. He was probably gay. He was probably all of these things. And he was trying to deflect I know. Obviously, he said it all came from God. It was from God who told him all this stuff, or it was somehow. Yeah. But it was not. Jesus never taught that stuff. He taught it, and it's now in the Bible, and the Bible is the Word of God, apparently. Which so is everything the... he said yeah. is apparently the Word of God. So that would be the would that be the New Testament? The New Testament. Yeah. Some of it, I think, also goes to the Old Testament. That stuff about man should not not lie with man or something. I think that's Old Testament. Right, right, right. There's, there's more stuff. If there wasn't enough anger and bile in the Old Testament, Saint Paul came up with some extras for the New <laughs> Testament in the form of a series of letters. My God, like he had poison and letters. <laughs> I wonder if he was from Tunbridge Wells, disgusted from Tunbridge Wells, or disgruntled, wherever he used to be on points of view. Well, he was kind of like that. Yeah. Disgusted off Damascus. (laughs) From St. Paul. But it's bollocks, isn't it? And all these people, especially in America, you get these big, you know, the, the TV evangelists, and they're the ones ripping everybody off, taking all their money, Telling everybody it's a sin to be gay, it's a sin for two men to be this, two women to be that, and, and then the, the, the oh, and then but they're the ones behind closed doors. Of course they are doing the very things they say are a sin. I think you get that also in um, in other religions for the people who are the ones who are supposed to be the ones who give all the moralities and stuff. Yeah, 
Didn't they? They, they, they'd go out of their own country and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Which they would never allow the people to do, and then they'd come back and enforce it all and yeah. tell people what they're supposed to do. Well, I was reading somewhere, I won't say which religion it is, but there was, like many religions, they, they have high walls around where they live so that their God can't see in. And so they get up to all sorts. And you just, it's just, it's just human beings manipulating the, these, the teachers of these spiritual beings, yeah, whatever they are. To get slightly ridiculous, isn't it? One would almost be tempted to say it doesn't sound very rational <laughs> or sensible or logical or anything. No. Really. How did you, when, I mean, how did you feel about religion? I mean, you, like, you, like, you had the wherewithal, and I'm so blown away by this, to, to question the adults when you were, a, when you were a child. How you, you must have looked at religion and gone, none of this makes sense. This is all. Not, not, it was actually took, took longer. I was brought up in the sort of Church of England. Mm. My mother was Catholic, but sort of, I, I would get it. I didn't really go to church much. There was a time in my early 20s when I went to church and I kind of believed it. And then as I thought about it, I just thought this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, if anyone listening and you are religious, that's up to you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. You, uh, you can believe whatever you believe. I just It's just the people that manipulate others for their own yes, gain. And I think also... Uh, I think on a, on another level, there is a lot of uh, beautiful writing in, say, the Bible or mm. other religious texts and things that, you know, incredible religious and spiritual allegories that can teach us things. And, that, and there's, there's all sorts of wonderful stuff there. But I... I um, so I'm not just dismissing it all as just all rubbish. <laughs> no. It's nothing at all we can learn. But I would not want to be part of, say, the Church of England uh, because ultimately I would be part of a regressive organisation. And, and when you think of all of the things, all of the freedoms, the fact that homosexuality is no longer illegal, which it was up until yeah. the 70s, the fact that we can now have gay marriage is equality... Yeah. And all sorts of other things. The fact that we now say that if people want to uh, change their gender or be gender or not have it be gender fluid or whatever they want to do, that's all right. All of those hard fought um, freedoms have been, uh, despite religion, yeah. religion every stage has been pulling it back. I mean, the Catholics that even more extreme than the Church of England. Yes. But let's not pretend the Church of England is in any way progressive. No. I mean, they're still arguing about... I think they have now said women can be bishops, but there was all this stuff about, for ages, women couldn't be bishops. Oh, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's ludicrous. I mean, it's so, it's so misogynistic and patriarchal. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't want to be part of such an organisation because uh, it is, to me, uh, they have you know, held back things for years and years. Mm. The less powerful those organisations are, I think, the better society is. I think so. But you, I don't yeah. think it's in somehow underpin morality or something like that. I don't believe that. So. But that's what's happening in America, isn't it? It's now we feel we are, they are regressing over there, going back to, you know, the word of God and, and, well, it, yes. and it's, and it's ludicrous. And it's, it's a shame because the world is such a beautiful place with such beautiful things in it. And if we're allowed to just be ourselves, we create some wonderful things. But yes, I mean that. Yes, uh, I mean um, as you say, in America, it's going backwards. It has done mm. women's rights and all sorts of things. Yeah, gay rights. So it's um, uh, you know, we one has to keep fighting for, yes. for these freedoms because uh, there's. I think 
has been a complacency in a certain uh, sort of liberal circles of this particular liberal Western democracy and other Western democracies, this sense that things are always just sort of becoming more liberal and everything's mm. just sort of improving. But uh, not necessarily. We have to we have to watch out for that. Oh, most definitely. But you have found your tribe with the connoisseurs. Yes. And that's... And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but have you found funny. it? Because you now you because you're going on tour now, uh, or you're on tour now. Are you on tour yet? I'm on tour. You're yeah, on tour now. So that must be a nice that must be a nice place to be, because you're you're in a, you're doing shows now for people that have bought tickets specifically to come and see you. It's whereas a comedy club where you're on a mixed bill with whoever is a little yes. bit more um, unpredictable. Well, yes, it's um, the other day I was doing the Glee Club in Birmingham. Yeah. I think it's, the, it's an unusual... I don't think there's any other venue like it. There might be another one, I can't think of it. But it's unusual in that I'm playing one of the rooms, which is the studio theatre, and meanwhile there's a club going on in the other room. Yeah. It's not very often you get that. And I sort of popped into the dressing room to say hello to the other acts, and it's all very friendly. But it did absolutely in some ways bring back those memories just even just walking through this room of people who were sitting there for the club and thinking oh that would have been <laughs> and, you, and now we welcome our next act Paul Furt and you have to you know some of them are really some of the clubs are lovely of course yeah but some of them uh, and I'm not saying anything about the Glee Club in Birmingham that may well be a really lovely club now uh, but, but certainly there were clubs where, you know, in, immediately they wouldn't, it would be competitive. Certainly me, with my eccentricities, they would often sort of think, who's this? Mm, I don't know, we don't like him, who's that? Yeah. And you'd immediately be on the back foot, even from the moment you came on stage, they'd be like, oh, we don't like you, what are you doing? And it was just uh, frightening. So, yeah, yeah it's such a... And, you, and uh, if you left a... Uh, a pause too long or if you had you might have gone on really well but you had one joke 15 minutes in that didn't work so well then there'd be someone who would immediately heckle because they were waiting for that little chink that moment yeah. when you weren't quite to so yeah it brought back those memories and I thought how it reminded me how uh, privileged I am to be you know on on with an audience who's come to see me, yeah. who give me the space and time to perform <laughs> and to take people on a journey with ups and downs and and some quieter bits and you know, still high laugh count. Yeah, that you can that you can give people moments when they're not laughing and they're thinking about things and achieve all sorts of things you couldn't achieve very easily in a club. Yeah. So yes, very lucky. But I find you and i'm not just saying this because you sat here it's 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 people performers like you who i find inspiring i and i'm not just saying that it's because because you are so yourself and brave brave enough to be yourself i'm too i'm too busy i'm too busy worrying about what other people think of me i I want people to like me and i'm scared that if i'm just myself i'll be they won't like it so I'm kind of what do you want what can I do for you what can I be whereas you're you and I love that and watching you do you were doing mime but it was because sometimes you didn't think the mimes might not be they might be very good so you it was mime plus mime plus so it was it was was mime with speaking yeah and then explaining what you just acted out and it and it was and you and I was watching it and I'm going how are you getting away with this? And it was, and it was brilliant. And I'll just sit there going, fuck, I just don't have that courage. Well, I don't know how I got it really, but I think I just, I, I did lots of clubs for many, many years and I somehow managed to not really let the clubs affect me and right. how I wanted to be, but I still had a respect for the audience. So I wasn't just couldn't care less. No. Uh, just go on, who cares? Uh, somehow I managed to get some sort of balance 
it was tricky, but there was often there was a uh, there was a conflict because I would go on at one show and I'd think, Do you know, it would go really well. Some of the clubs were great. I had a great time. And then I'd think, Do you know, I could have pushed it a bit further. I could have been a bit more uh, out there with the, the choice of comedy that I'd done that night. And I, so I think, oh, I wasn't quite satisfied. I could have pushed it further. Mm. But then another night, I'd push it a bit further and it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go so well. And maybe I'd try and get it back, but it was too late. And then I'd think, Do you know, I could have really got more laughs there yeah. if I'd played it safer. So there was always, or often, there was this conflict, which doesn't exist now in the, in the touring of my own audience. Yes. There is no conflict. I just do what... I want to do, and they want to hear it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so um, I don't know how I did it. Uh, and the clubs were very different to how they are now. I think now, certainly there's lots and lots of clubs that are very um, are great, which I do sometimes play, mm. which are where they want, they actually want something really weird and interesting. I've played a few of those recently, yeah. where the, if you were to go on and do something conventional they'd be like what's this you know yes but that didn't exist 25 years ago when i started it was all very much they wanted a conventional thing yeah and there was no real place for what i was doing and what some other people were also doing but this is this like you said i'm glad that these these places exist now and what's nice is that they've given me a chance to explore some things i wouldn't normally do there's a there's a gig called um acms that i've done and i and every time i do it i always make a point of doing something that i would never normally have the courage to do and i had this one bit and i was gonna add a cat mask and i was gonna go on with this cat mask and go on and on and on and on about how much i love dogs and then halfway through realize i've put the wrong mask on and i would that was and i'd build it all up and i'd made sure i was like yeah this is gonna be really funny really funny and i got to the gig and there was a guy wearing a with a um a giraffe mask (laughs) and i was like how am i hack already (laughs) 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 and it completely threw me and i didn't i had to kind of do this rant about being hack in an alternative comedy night by turning up in an animal mask which it's kind of like route one. I don't know whether that is hacking, which is just I <laughs> yeah. I also had a mask. I mean, sometimes, you know, like you can, you can get comedy nights in some of the, some of the sort of uh, trendier comedy nights, for yeah. want of a better word, where you get what, you know, several apps will all use a slight, a projector and they've all got a laptop. Yes. And they're doing projecting. Well, you know, 10 years ago, you'd have thought, oh, my God, someone else has got a projector, they're doing that. Nowadays, no one cares, you know. It's just no. like, yeah, there's going to be three acts and they're all using a projector. In the same way that years ago, I might have thought, oh, um, there's a there's a gay comedian on and I'm coming on after and I'm talking about my sexuality for a bit. Oh, dear. Whereas I've, you know, I've, I've done uh, nights where there's been five gay comedians on. It's no one cares. It's just not even an yeah. issue anymore. It's just, uh, I mean, to give a very extreme example, in 1997 or 96, when I started, it was uh, the received wisdom in virtually every comedy club that you'd, I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but mm. this is what it was like, that you'd only ever have one woman on. You'd have a woman on, but yeah. you wouldn't ever because that would be too much to the audience, you know. Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, women, they can't really hack it and all these stupid things people <laughs> say. Uh, I mean, just the yeah. idea of that now is obviously ludicrous. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. how much things have changed in the last 26 years. Yeah, it was the same when I, when I started, I remember, as a barman. I was at 2001, I became a barman at a comedy club and then I became a comedian in 2004. And, yeah, even back then it was still one woman. She'd be on in the middle. Uh, they would only have one person of colour on. They would only have one gay comedian on because they didn't want to confuse people. And you're like, what are you talking about? No. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, it, it, do, do, yeah. Did we um, do a gig to go in Banbury? We did. Because yes, you did a thing about um, you did a thing about trans being transgender or about attitudes towards transgender yes. people. Yes. And then you, and of course, it was because the audience perhaps wasn't necessarily expecting uh, a middle-aged white man no. to be saying they were expecting you going to say something. Like, it's not how it used to be, is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember when it was all like that, and so. And so they weren't expecting it slightly, um, and it was uh, a reminder to everyone that it's not just the uh, young people who are talking about these progressive issues in a progressive way. Yes. But I also remember that some of them were like, yeah, we agree with you, Rich, because your, your joke, I can't remember what the joke was, but it was basically making fun of people who are transphobic yeah. and have an issue. That's basically what it was. That's it, yeah. Some people were like, yeah, we agree with you, Rich. But there was a bit of a silent minority who was not so. Yeah. You know. And that was a sign of the danger to come because I came on stage, you introduced me, and it was great, it was great fun. But there were a few people in there who perhaps, you know, and I think I actually, there was someone who actually then walked out halfway through because yes. I don't know what they were there. And he was absolutely just didn't laugh and he was all upset, didn't like it. And then I heard from the very nice person who ran the place, who was a big fan of mine afterwards, so, so he was saying it in a nice way to me because he was a yeah. he loved my comedy. But he said that person left and said, I don't want to sit and watch that gay, a gay on stage. I don't want to hear a gay person. Not that even what I was doing was anything to do with being gay. No, not at all. It was mentioned a couple of times within the context of a couple of jokes, but most of my comedy was just about other stuff. Yeah. But anyway, who cares? I could do what I want. But anyway, he just didn't like that. And that was a reminder that, uh, you know, you, there's danger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is, <laughs> there is still work to be done. You're right. And, it, uh, but that's, that makes me want to keep doing it. I want to keep, I want to keep doing material like that about being, you know, more progressive stuff talking about the issues that are out there because it's the only way we're going to make changes is you know I, I remember there's a gig that i book and it, I, I booked all women and it, it doesn't it's only a couple of times a year this gig and i got a thing about going oh yeah no uh, it's just it's all women and i'm like yeah but th that's not why i've booked them they're all brilliant this is going to be a good night and it was a good night but if I'd have gone, oh, actually, yeah, you're probably right, and changed the lineup, then we don't make any progress, do we? We don't. Well, yes. So it's um, I, I was the other thing that occurs to me is just 
It reminds me of a review I got in from Edinburgh with my show, because in my show I talk about, at the, near the beginning of my new show, Dissolve, I talk about change. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically talking about how ridiculous it is that people are just stuck in the mud against change, you know. Yeah. But I, I loved how the reviewer just said, Paul Foot comes on stage in the early stages of the show and does a rant about change, but not in the way that you expect a middle-aged white man to do. We're <laughs> 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 similar to you, you yeah. know, when you were doing something, you know. People just think, yeah, I find that sort of comedy really boring, the idea of him saying, well... I mean, maybe we should do a bit together now. A bit of a, maybe we should do a bit of a nostalgia. Trip. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's not like how things were in the eighties, is it? In oh. the nineties, those days. Yeah, we all knew where we were then. It wasn't all like that anymore, is it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, a man was a man, and a woman was a woman, and it was. You knew where you stood. It's just. And I find oh, the shit. idea of. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm aging, and I'll get older and older. But I really don't want to be one of those people who gets older. And it can happen, of course, in your 70s or 80s. But as we know, it can happen in your 40s or even 30s. So even comedians <laughs> in, their, like in their 30s or certainly in their 40s, moaning on them, oh, this isn't what it used to be. <laughs> and going on about, you know, it's just so boring. You know? yeah. And I remember one day, we didn't have a mobile phone like this. People weren't on their phones all the time. So what? Who cares? Yeah. People use their phones more. <laughs> so they're using apps, you know. Yeah. So what? You know, sometimes people aren't talking to each other at the dinner table because they're on their phones, but they'll talk to each other at another time. Yeah. Things have evolved. Things have changed. They you have. Know, the yeah. People will still, all the same things will still, as long as we don't destroy our planet to the point yeah. where hardly anyone live here. And there's, uh, obviously we're not all going to, the, the human race isn't in peril as such, but the size of it might yes. be some terrible thing. But as long as that, you know, as long as we somehow manage to still live here, uh, there'll still be people and they'll still have sex with each other and make babies and there'll still be t- people talk to each other and have conversations and people will still be kind to each other and it's not all going to fall apart. I just find <laughs> that idea of... Oh, it's not how it was, and people lost their sense of community. It's just boring. Yeah, it's all there. It's all still there, and it will still be there. And I really enjoy talking to you, Paul Foot. This has been such a joy, and thank you for being patient. I do apologise for ruining your afternoon, early evening, making your tea late. I do apologise. I can have my uh, supper now in a minute. Lovely. Get that oven on. Um, Are you on social media? I am, yes. Where can we find you on the social media? Well, I'm on... It's uh, a good question, isn't it? Uh, on Instagram, it's Paul Foot Comedy. And on uh, Twitter, it's... Uh, um, Paul Foot. Lovely. And, uh, and on um, uh, Facebook, it's... Uh, Something or other, isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be something, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I've got to be on there. I'm sure you are. Um, it's Paul Foot, you know, Paul Foot on Paul Foot, you know, with a little tick. You know, you've got found me. I've got a tick. And uh, there's, I've also got a, a website which people can find by going to http <laughs> colon forward slash forward slash www.internet.com and you go on the internet <laughs> and you go on the internet oh, God. And, you, and you find me. Paulfoot.tv is the website, but uh, people can find it. And that's on, where we can find your... On Google. <laughs> and I, I was going to say other other search engines are available, but they're not, though, are they? There aren't any Not good engines. ones. No one's looking not for... Really. No one's looking for Paul Foot on Ask Jeeves, are they? Or Bing or whatever. Yeah, I looked up Ask Jeeves a while ago. I thought, what's happened to it? And it sort of... Um, it got bought up by... Uh, I don't know, 15 years ago by Google or something. Uh, Google just, just took over the world. That yeah. was it. So, Paul, you're on tour, and we go to your website, and there we can see where your dates are. Yes. And uh, we can get tickets to see you on tour. Paul Foot, 
this has been a joy. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been Insane in the Membrane. I've been Rich Wilson. This has been Paul Foote. And we'll see you next time. Insane in the Membrane. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.